Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 244 of Yoga Land. Hi there, Jason. Hi there, Andrea. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to mix it up a little bit. Me it's too. Really There's, hard. I, it doesn't. It's, it's like teaching a sun happen. salutation. There's just like only so many ways you can yeah. tell people to inhale yeah. and reach the arms yeah, up. Exactly. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about the back today. Yeah. We all we've all got one. Yep. We are often in, in pain <laughs> yeah. at some point in our life. Yes, that's right. Um, but before. We're having total dog issues, everyone. I just want you to know when we, we before this, Andrew and I said, like, look, we don't have a ton of time for banter, but the reality is we're having serious dog issues right now because we have suitcases out and we have suitcases out because Andrea is going back to San Francisco for a couple of days before we join her. Um, and when the dog, when the suitcases come out, the dog just, she, she, she's got some anxiety attachment issues. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We think, she, yeah. You know, she's a rescue. Yeah. All right. Chill out, Ginger. So before we get to the specifics of the topic today, we want to just mention once again that you're going to run your injuries program online again soon. Yes. And do you want to talk a little bit about how that's going to be different? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different than the other online trainings that I've done. Um, We are going to stretch out the live component, the interactive component over a longer period of time. So usually what we do is people have six months of access to the recorded content, and then we get together on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday during that increment, and we talk and we practice and we do the live component that's related to the recorded content. So how do you want to do it this time? So this time we're going to spread it out where we're still going to do three sessions. It's still the same kind of, uh, same ratio of recorded versus live. But we are going to get together once a month for three months instead of three days in a row. Uh, Because what this is going to do, especially for this content, I just have to say injury management is more dense. It's more technical. It, It takes us a longer time to digest it and to integrate the material. And so the nice thing about online is how flexible it is. That kind of thing of doing getting together three days once per month, it's impossible to do in a physical location because people, so many people travel, right? Um, so it's difficult to travel to the same place three different times in a row, but online we can do it. And it's going to give people a longer period of time to settle in. So, so it's going to give people more breathing room yeah. to get through the recorded content and then s- still have some time to look forward to to ask you questions so it'll exactly. be the same recorded content right yep but it's sort of mentally spread out over three months be- instead of a week yeah. because they'll have once a month a chance to talk to you exactly yeah okay. great december january and february are when the live sessions are and then we'll put this for sale really soon so people will have access to this course, uh, the recorded content, really soon. And so if you're interested, go to jasonyoga.com and... Slash injuries. Yeah. And get I yourself by, an injury. I think by really soon, we mean by the time this this podcast airs. That's what mm. we talked about. Okay. Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. Great. I was hedging bets by saying really soon. I know, but I'm committing. Good. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things that people may not know about you is that what brought you to yoga was 
Well, actually, that's not 100% true, but I'm going to start again. Yeah. One of the things people may not know about you is that when you started doing yoga, you uh, worked for a catering company mm-hmm. and you did a lot of lifting and packing the truck mm-hmm. and you developed back pain. Yeah. And it was sort of ongoing, right? The first time that I knew I had back pain was I was pretty young. I was um, in high school and I had pretty bad back pain for a period of time. I played I played hockey in Toledo and Detroit and it's a high contact sport, obviously. And I went through periods of time with really bad back pain. Mm. And this was a period of time, you know, the 80s where you didn't you didn't really inspect your pains you know um this has become relevant in a moment what like why i i bring that up then but then what you're bringing up is i worked for a catering company in the warehouse and i had been exposed to yoga i had done a semester of yoga at college and then i was working for a catering company and i was kind of doing a little bit of yoga here and there but I wasn't committed to it. I didn't really have a consistent yoga practice at all. And one day I was I was just packing a truck. It's kind of, I'll, I'll spare everyone the details, but I lowered a really heavy case of water. Um, I lowered it from overhead to, to below by leaning forward and rotating. And I went into really bad back spasm. Um, I was in that back spasm for long enough to end up going to the hospital for it um, and turned out I had herniated herniated a disc and was in back spasm for quite a period of time and it was bad it was really bad it was remarkable um, and so and but I was also really young right and but this made me feel really mortal you know like this <laughs> this this scale of injury mm-hmm. I think, you know, anyone that's had a really severe injury or severe illness at any phase, they 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 realize like this, our time is limited. Mm-hmm. And th- so this got very existential for me. And because I had been exposed to yoga, I felt like, oh man, I need to take this seriously. And it really was, it was the first time that I genuinely felt this is the one body I have, you know, and I need, and I need to get better at taking care of it. I need to become more strategic at taking care of it. Um, and so that, like you brought up, really sent me into taking yoga much more sincerely and much more consistently and thinking about my body as something that needed to be taken care of and maintained. And that was different for me. My body had always been a vessel to do a sport, hmm. you know? And the yoga helped? Okay, so the yoga helped in a lot of ways, but the yoga also was an ongoing trigger unbeknownst to me. Hmm. So he, so fast forward a little bit of time, my back spasm is no longer acute. My, um, my herniated disc and my, um, the related issues were no longer acute. And I was doing a lot of, I started doing yoga more. But of course, the kind of yoga that I was doing more of was Ashtanga yoga. And and I say a course because that was the degree of physicality that I needed to connect with. But Ashtanga yoga is so rooted in seated forward bends and strong adjustments and twists that 
I regularly re-triggered back spasms. But I didn't understand. Like, I understood I needed to take care of myself and yoga was good. But I didn't understand that that particular style of yoga with my issues was probably not the best fit. Mm -hmm. And so I went on actually for quite a bit of time of just continuing to re-trigger it. Every six months, I would go back into spasm. And for people that know spasm, they know spasm. For people that don't know spasm... Spasm is not when your back hurts. It's when your back not only hurts, but the spasm is such that your body is distorted and you can't function normally. Um, so you've seen me, right? You've seen me plenty of times in spasm, including not too long ago, because it still <laughs> happens from time to time. Uh, but a hallmark of it is if you look at my body when I'm in spasm, it's I have a scoliosis. So essentially, spasm, what, you, what you're referring to as spasm is when the muscles around, like in the area mm-hmm. of the herniated disc, go, they spasm to, to sort of you're, protect. protect it. Yeah. And yeah. so your body gets distorted because yeah. the muscles are contracting in ways that they normally wouldn't. Yeah. Imagine you perceive that a robber is sprinting towards your door. What do you do? You lock that door. So spasms occur for many different reasons, but one of them is perceived threats. So oftentimes what will trigger a spasm in someone is a degree of movement or a degree of stress that your nervous system perceives as a threat. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes a threat based on existing injury. So in those scenarios, um, when I go in spasm, the, the doors lock. And it becomes unconscious and involuntary. Mm -hmm. And my body is usually distorted in some way. And it's hard to function in like normal day-to-day existence. Um, But over the years, my spasms are much fewer. They're much shorter duration. And they don't freak me out anymore. Because a lot of times when when, when I go into spasm... Now I understand that there isn't necessarily new damage. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a there is a nervous system firing pattern, but there isn't necessarily a true injury mm-hmm. underneath it. Um, and so usually, if I go into a spasm, I would say this. I mean, I was in spasm not too long ago, um, but prior to that, it had probably been two or three years. So so instead of this happening every six months and lasting for weeks. Now, whenever it happens, it happens every, I'd say two to four years. Usually there's something very specific that triggered it, like a degree of physical impact or stress through other sport. Um, and they're, and they're brief. They're re, it's really unpleasant, but it's brief. Um, and there's a lot of things in there, but um, anatomy nerds out there, a significant component of my back spasm is multifidi. And it's multifidi on one side. And the way I can, I know it's multifidi is the way my body distorts under that, that the kind of like the hinge to the side, almost scoliosis pattern mm-hmm. um, is those uh, multifidi on one side firing unilaterally. Hmm. Yeah. There's other stuff in there. There's like bad company. Um, but, Going all the way back to my brief story about back pain when I was younger. 
So only through time did I start to learn more about various back injuries, of course. Um, and there is a back injury, and this is called, a, I always, I have such a hard time pronouncing it, a spondylolisthesis. It is very hard to spondylothesis. pronounce. Spondylolisthesis. 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 Um, but that is a fracturing of the pars, and the pars is part of of the vertebrae. Each vertebrae has what's called a pars. It's a location of the vertebrae, and it fractures. Huh. And a spondylolisthesis, which is a fracturing of the pars, when that pars fractures, the that vertebrae, so not the disc, but the actual vertebrae, shifts out of optimum alignment with the column, right? So a little bit we know about the spine. The spine is a column. That column has three primary curves. And those, and the what, what everything stacks on top of is the vertebral body. So you can ima imagine like a staircase, imagine like a spiral staircase. And imagine that one of the stairs on the staircase is now misaligned with all of the other stairs to some degree. And so a spondylolisthesis, it's a fracturing of the pars, which allows that one vertebrae to now shift forward. Mm. It actually shifts forward mm. outside of that stack. And when it shifts forward outside of that stack... Um, it creates certain very specific, not only pain patterns, but tightness patterns, okay? This is a pretty, I don't want to say common, okay? I want to be clean when it comes to language. As far as back injuries go, this is a somewhat common back injury, especially amongst adolescents that play contact sports hmm. or adolescents that fall off horses, so, so this injury that I was having when I was a kid, which I didn't realize because it's, it's often very underdiagnosed, um, is a spondylolisthesis. Hmm. So I have a spondylolisthesis and a disc injury. I can't believe I've been married to you this long and I did not know that. Yeah. You don't know I got a little broken back? I didn't know. But the, the, the most frustrating thing, and this is what we'll, we'll talk a little bit as it relates to yoga right? Because it's not just about kind of my story, although I think this stuff is helpful. For me, I am totally functional and totally asymptomatic the vast majority of time. The challenges for a spondylolisthesis is spinal extension, backbending. Mm -hmm. The challenge typically for a disc injury is forward bending especially forward bending with a little bit of twist. And we're going to have some other follow-up episodes where I kind of, we would talk about some of these and unpack some, some general ideas about working with injuries. I know there are things you want to get to, but I have to ask you just a couple questions. Sure. Are the disc injury and the spondylolisthesis in the same area? Are they yes. related? Yeah, they almost are always okay. related. No. Okay. Nearby, yes. Huh. Because the majority of, the majority of, how do I say this the right way? The majority of traumatic incidents 
injuries that happen to the spine are lower spine or cervical spine. Okay. But they're not... So it's... So it's so it's, so They're those, close to each other, but they're not related. They're not related. Okay. The only way that they're related is they are both a remarkable inconvenience to me, whether I'm doing deep back bends or deep forward bends. And did you see the spondylolisthesis on an x-ray? No. Okay. However, that's how it's typically diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, I can pretty much guarantee that I would see it on a specific x-ray. Um, it's diagnosed through um, a clinical exam. Okay. There is enough information, and without me going into all the case history, because there are there are several different, very specific markers for a to for a spondylolisthesis in how it presents in pain and dysfunction patterns. Similarly, um, there is. One of the reasons it's underdiagnosed is because the imaging that diagnoses it is an x-ray from a particular angle. And those x-rays aren't done unless your doctor thinks, orders this specific x-ray because it's not the most common one, um, but it's posterior lateral. It has to be an angle. Like if it's an x-ray straight to the front, straight to the back or straight to the sides, it won't pick up hmm. this fracture. Okay. okay. Um, it has to be from a particular angle. Okay. Um, w- interestingly, so one of the one of the common, uh, not common patterns, but um, one of the very strong identifiers of this, right? And, and this is like this is this is me talking about me, not suggesting people infer this to themselves, let alone infer this to their students. Pain upon passive backbends. So for me, if I do a passive sphinx pose or like yin seal or not seal, but like yeah, I think any, it's called seal. Is it? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Any passive backbend is awful immediately. Hmm. It's immediately awful. There, there, are, there are many reasons why passive backbends or other backbends are problematic for people other than this. Okay. That's, but that's one identifier. Another identifier is this case history of being a hockey player and having significant back pain uh, associated with trauma playing that sport. The other one is strong asymmetrical hamstring restriction that is that you can't do anything about. So what you can imagine is imagine that the lowest vertebrae is shifted forward. If something is shifted forward, if part of your structure, part of your skeleton is shifted forward, then what is behind it and below it will be chronically contracted. Hmm. So the side of the fracture, which is right lower lumbar, my right hamstrings and my right adductors are permanently tight. And when I say tight, I don't just mean they have they are less flexible when I do forward bends on my right side and left side. I mean even to the touch, palpating. So when I do foam rolling or any of that stuff or body work any of that stuff, the right hamstring and the right adductor like all that stuff, no matter what is rock solid because it has to be because it's always having to guard from the backside. It's having to compensate. That spinal stack 
is skewed forward, which means there's a muscular compensation behind it and below it to hold the to hold my body in a more upright position. Okay. Yeah. You have 10 minutes. Okay. So now let's shift forward from me and let's take a moment and I want to give everyone like, okay, here's what I want to do. I want to say that I am not in the habit of doling out random advice about how to deal with injuries in yoga. The reason being, we actually, when we get to the level of working with an injury, it's very challenging as a yoga teacher because we can very easily transgress our scope of practice. I am a yoga teacher. I'm not a pathologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an OT. So when I work with students and injuries or students in and pain, I am very clear that what I am trying to do is help them with the yoga stuff that they're struggling with because of the pain, not trying to fix the pain. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to fix the pathology. I'm trying to change how you do the yoga practice so as not to trigger that pain. So going back to me being an Ashtanga practitioner, Ashtanga yoga with my body and the amount of forward bends and my injury of the disc pathology was not a good fit. So if I was working with me way back then, I wouldn't try to use poses to fix the disc pain. I would try to help me do all of those poses in a remarkably different way so as not to trigger that pain. I try to fix the asana practice as it relates to the injury, not the injury itself. Is that like a sensible, yeah. does that does that, does that that seem clear? Yep. Okay. But I want to give two other bits of advice that I think are so basic and so helpful and so clear when it comes to working with almost any injury having to do with the lower back, okay? Okay. Which is number one, keep the curve. And I'm going to talk about this in, in kind of like different ways, but number one, keep the curve. The lumbar curve. Yes. And number two, maintain strength of the entire region. Okay. Those two things. One thing I want to say is it's difficult in most situations to just stretch your way out of pain. Oh, yeah. So now we can stretch our way out of stiffness. We can stretch our way out of achiness. We can stretch our way out of like stuckness. But when there is an actual injury or a pathology, oftentimes stretching is a component of it, but it is only a component of it. And what I have found over the years is just following those two basic bits of advice. Keep the curve and maintain strength of the entire area. Those are the best, safest pieces of advice, regardless of what kind of back injury you're dealing with. Um, because you heard me a moment ago saying, I have both a disc issue and a spondylolisthesis. One is triggered by one set of motions. The other is triggered by the other set of motions. So one of the things that I have learned from working with myself and so many others on, especially as it relates to lower back issues is we, 
we as teachers, we, we don't usually have the full case history of the student. We don't know, we often don't know what the actual problem is or if there's more than one problem. And for me, what I would do to alleviate the spondylolisthesis would aggravate the disc. What I would do to deal with the disc would aggravate the spondylolisthesis. And so as a teacher, there, it's, it's, it's exceptionally difficult to just blanket statement say, oh, if you have X issue, do Y poses. If you have Y issue, do X poses. That's where we can step back and say, no matter what the issue is with the lower back, try to maintain the lumbar curve in everything you do. So if we took me back to forward bends, this is something that comes up pretty frequently, right? Which is if someone has a lower back issue, like a disc issue that is triggered by the spine going into forward flexion, does that mean that that student should not do forward bends? And the answer is no, it doesn't mean that that student shouldn't do forward bends. It means if that student does forward bends, 100% of that forward bend has to come from the hips hinging, mm-hmm. not the lower back rounding, mm-hmm. right? So it's kind, of a, it's kind of an inaccurate thing to say people with disc injuries shouldn't do forward bends. It's actually not true. People with lumbar disc injuries often shouldn't do spinal flexion, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of forward folds that you can do without spinal flexion. And that's it why I say- It might look really different from people's exactly. expectation, right? So. Yeah. so that might mean your seated forward folds, your knees are bent, you're holding the feet uh, lightly, and you're anteriorly tilting the pelvis- while engaging the spinal muscles and lifting the chest. Yeah, so you're, it, you're not folding over the legs. You're maybe... Well, let's be clear about it. You're not, you're not draping the, the torso right. over the legs. Right. So, so if you can you're keep... You're just rotating the pelvis. Yes. Yeah. You're rotating the pelvis forward over the femurs while maintaining the natural curve of the spine. Mm-hmm. Same thing with twists. This is a, hu- this is a huge... I think a lot of times people don't realize with lower back, if you just have stiff, achy, ornery, ucker, a lower back, but no real complexity, twists can feel lovely. Twists are great for like a stiff lower back. Mm-hmm. But for the majority of more complicated lumbar issues, twists, twists are often not ideal. Right. Because a lot of twists unknowingly, in a lot of twists unknowingly, we lose the natural curve of the spine, especially bound twists. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of twists unknowingly, we're actually rounding the spine a little bit forward. Mm -hmm. We're kind of flexing the spine. But if you can find twists, and there are plenty of twists, but if you can find twists where you maintain the lumbar curve, then oftentimes those twists... Are really lovely and really helpful. We have to make sure that we're not quote unquote trying to twist from the lower back, mm-hmm. the lumbar vertebrae, that region of the body doesn't rotate. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're rotating the thoracic spine, but if it's a seated forward bend, a standing forward bend, a seated twist, recline twist, standing twist, the first thing that you want to do is you want to bring the lower back into its natural curve. Mm-hmm. And maintain it 
while transitioning through those other through those other dimensions of the pose. I want to just clarify one thing, and sure. you may have said this at the top of this, you know, little segment, but I just want to clarify that you are talking about ongoing maintenance, correct? You're not talking about if you're in an acute phase. If you're in an acute phase, don't go to a yoga teacher. I'm just saying, I'm just saying if I you know, just to clarify when you're in it, like I've had lower back injuries before and I didn't know enough to get out of the region for a little while. So, yeah. So let's, let's say, let's say this. I think the only reasonable way, especially in a podcast from distance that we can address lower back in yoga or any injury and issue in yoga is to presume that we're not in an acute phase. Okay. Because if you're in an acute phase, you have to deal with the inflammation of the situation. This is there's so there's so many other issues, okay. right? So so let but let me let's we have to go one step further, which is to say, so what actually is an injury? An injury is usually the simultaneous presence of pain and dysfunction. That's the important thing to understand. So if the arm's a little sore or achy, is it injured? Probably not. Like is it is it lacking function? No, it's not lacking function. So just do your thing. If you woke up today and you don't have a back history, there's no injury, but you're man, man, everything's kind of stiff and achy. It's been stiff and achy for a few days. I don't, I don't think you need to worry about skipping your yoga class. Like that's where yoga for is such a lovely thing for the body. It's when there's that when there is an actual injury. There's there's going to be some sort of dysfunction, meaning this thing used to work differently and now it is not really working. So there's a weakness, there's a pain, there's a dysfunction. There's some, like the thing ain't quite working the way the thing used to work, right? Mm-hmm. That that's when, That is when, that is medical professional time. All this other is when there is malaise or it's general maintenance, and with general maintenance, I mean, it's actually, a, it's sensible in most situations to keep the curve anyways, but certainly for lower back maintenance and for good, safe, sound measures, keep that thing in its natural curve. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so then when we're, you're talking about strengthening the area, can you define, get a little more detailed on that? Yeah, so we can think about maintaining strength in the entire circumference of the core. But I think that culturally, there's there's kind of a common mistake, which is a lot of times people will be like, okay, in order to protect my lower back, I need to strengthen my abdominals. I don't disagree with that, but it's a little out of order. The most important thing for you to strengthen if you want to protect your lower back is your lower back. It's to actually strengthen those posterior muscles. So we are in a culture where the lower back muscles and the thoracolumbar fascia, so that fascia that covers the bottom of the thorax and the lumbar, is unfathomably weak. It's so weak. because, Because we spend so much time sitting with slight posterior pelvic tilt, the pelvis round a little bit back and the spine round a little bit forward. And so that the... The majority of people, including myself, that don't do regular overt strengthening for hamstrings, butt, lats, and back, if you are not regularly doing strengthening in those regions, they're probably weak. Mm-hmm. 
they're probably weak. Yeah. And if those are weak, I don't care how many crunches you do. I don't care how strong your abdominals are. You just spent a lot of time building a house by like putting like 40 layers of wood on one side and only sheetrock on the other side. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it fits into our cultural narrative, but it doesn't fit into a sensible practice. Mm -hmm. Now, here's the biggest, toughest thing, which is to tell you that keeping the curve often fatigues the lower back muscles. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's counterintuitive because we think to ourselves, oh, my lower back is uncomfortable. I don't want to do anything that makes it in you that that engages it because it because that makes it tired. Okay, but oftentimes and again, this is just general broad advice. The woefully inefficient and weak lower back muscles have contributed to the likelihood of injury in the region and that those areas oftentimes need to be strengthened for a period of time. Yeah. Something that is weak is much more vulnerable than something that is not. And and one of the reasons that this has to be addressed is A, because it's true, and B, because in yoga we still default to every time something feels tight, we still, the for what do we want to do? Release it. You know, it's like all the myofascial release. Myofascial release is great, but we can also ask ourselves, well, why is this myofascia, why does it need to be released? Why is it so tight? Why is it so stiff? And there are many reasons for that, but one of them is often that that area is weak. And because it's weak, it's tired. And because it's tired, it's a little bit more irritable and a little bit more vulnerable. So if we can slowly and progressively just think of those two things maintaining lower back happiness through maintaining lumbar curve especially in forward bends and especially in twists and doing things in your life to strengthen the whole region but especially lats butt and spinal muscles Now, final thing is not to say, I'm not saying right now, okay, go out and do like the most intense strength training you could ever do to that region because you're going to blow yourself out. You have to think slowly and progressively. Um, So if you aren't regularly, and you can even do it in yoga, if you aren't regularly doing prone backbends, if you're not engaging your butt in your standing poses in your backbends like start getting that low hanging fruit mm-hmm. where where you really are starting to build uh, more stress tolerance of that back body in might you need more might you need a clinician might you need proper diagnosis in your life look those things are so helpful in our life we we a thousand percent advocate people working with medical professionals and when it comes to yoga keeping the curve and building strength on that back body go a long way. Mm-hmm. They really go a long way. Cool. Yeah, I like I like that you kind of kept it very simple and actionable for this one. So, and it makes sense. I mean, the body is built with curves for a reason, mm-hmm. right? It, we don't need to uh, change the what. I don't know. Nature kind of intelligently gave us to distribute the force. And, yep. Um, and uh, when we, I think that we 
forget the back body because we don't see it all the time. And it's just, yeah. So, and it, um, so yes, I'm with you. This might be a good place where if people want to ask questions, people could send in questions. Sure. And, and I would say send in question. Where do they send in a question? Support at jasonyoga.com. Yep. Um, so you could send in some questions specifically about this stuff. And I think, think about if you are sending in a question, what reasonably without us, you being here, like what we might be, what kind of insight we might be able to provide. Sure. Um, so probably about specific poses and specific discomforts. Those are probably best, not your student who, you know, when they walk their dog, you know, their lower back hurts. Okay. Um, sounds good. And Although if we actually... keep the curve and keep that stuff strong. And that's probably, then you probably handle your dog. That's what your student needs to do. Yep. We do have a sequence to ease lower back pain on the website. So I will put a link to that in the show notes, which you can find at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 244. And as always, thanks for being here. If you are interested in the injuries course, you can go to jasonyoga.com slash injuries and get all the details of how it's set up and what the curriculum is. And uh, yeah, that's about it. It's good stuff. Okay. Thanks, Jason. Until next week, enjoy your practice.